0: Shalom, and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. This is a recording of our weekly Exploring the Parsha class with Rabbi Rebecca Schatz and Rabbi Matt Shapiro.
1: We are going to start at the beginning of the Parsha and move with some rapidity through the first parak. Um, to bring us actually all the way up to the end of the chapter. Um, We are picking up where we left off uh, two weeks ago, right? Because last week was the Shabbos of Hesach. Um, So we're still continuing this uh, detailed journey through the various rites of the ancient Israelites. Um, And we are, if if we scroll back up a little bit, um, you know, we can sort of, Remind ourselves that we're talking about this process through which um, the sacrificial service that that they're engaging in in the desert is is being dedicated, is beginning, is, is being engaged with, and it it sort of continues through the beginning of this chapter, right? Like I said, we're going to buzz through it relatively quickly. There's not a lot happening narratively beyond the fact that that is happening on the eighth day. Moshe calls Aharon and his sons. Uh, and Zigne the elders. And he says, like, here, here are the sacrifices that you need to undertake in order to like complete this process, basically. There's a lot of conversation. If we were to dive into the very, very beginning of the parsha, there's a lot of conversation about the number eight as opposed to the number of seven, right? Seven is a number of completion, eight is pushing beyond that, um, seven days of the week, eight days of Brit Mila, you did the Seder last week, you know one, and so on and so forth. Um and taking these animals, taking a calf, taking a ram, bringing them before God, taking the goat, taking the calf, just laying out the different offerings that need to be made in order to complete this process. And I'll just highlight in verse four, um, in terms of what, what's going to be happening as a result of this experience, at the end of verse four, ki hayom adonai uh, aleichem, that this is the day in which God will... will up here will make manifest before you, so with that in mind, with that as sort of the the goal and the anticipated outcome, everybody sort of takes takes direction and does their thing, right They bring forth these offerings again, Moses reiterates in verse six. Yes, this is what God has commanded you to do, that God's presence, slightly different language, which will recur in our verses, Kavod Adonai will appear to you. Um, there's some very interesting stuff that I that I stumbled along in verse six over the course of the week that I shared a little bit with Rabbi Schatz, because it's it, it seems to be both redundant and vague, which, as we know from our learning together, invites lots of Midrashic opportunities. Maybe, what do you think, Rabbi Schatz? Should we do that one next year? We'll do that one next year. Okay. We did not have the easiest time picking the verses for this week. But we made it, and here we are. Okay. Uh, Moshe says to Aaron, come forward. You're going to sacrifice these offerings. And from here, it's a pretty straightforward recounting of this ritual. Aaron comes forward and offers the the sacrifice of the calf. Starts moving some blood around. Elon is very happy to hear about it. The various... uh, Organs are laid out. We don't need to get into the nitty gritty details. This is the fairly gross part. Rabbi Shots, do you want to get into the weeds of the different body parts and all that? Nope, you don't. Okay, so we'll fast forward through this a little bit. Um, details of the service and so on and so forth. Bringing us to the end of the parak for the most part. That was 10 verses of pretty bloody and detailed recounting of sacrifices um, extra credit if you can recount it in detail uh, on your own time. Okay, um, verse 22. Um, so after all of this is done, after all of these sacrifices have been offered, Aaron comes forth to the people, he lifts his hands, this probably rings a bell when you think about the imagery of what priests would do, he lifts his hands for the people, and he blesses them. Then he steps down after having offered that sacrifice after offering this set of sacrifices. So we've gone through this whole process. Aaron comes out and he blesses the people after seemingly having brought this experience to to a close. That's where we get to. And we're going to zoom in literally and figuratively uh, on the last two verses of um, of the. Chapter. Saying that word intentionally. So after all of that was done, Moses and Aaron come right, come to the tent of meeting, come to the Ohel Then they come out. Okay, they went in, they went out. What happened there? And they bless the people. Interesting, given what just happened in the last verse. And then, as was hinted at earlier in the chapter that's the point at which the presence of God appears before all of the people. Verse 24, And then a fire came forth from God. And the fire basically like consumed the parts that it's supposed to consume as a part of the service, right? Like that, that part of the experience has now been activated. The fire consumes, uh, those sacrifices. Uh, and all the people saw it. And they, it's translated here as shouted, um, Rabbi Schatz, I don't know if you explored that word at all, but there's some conversation about what that word may or may not mean. Uh, And they fell on their faces, um, which is uh, a motif and action that we see in a couple of different contexts within the Torah and also can mean a couple of different things in terms of what it signifies. I'm going to say one and a half more things before I throw the metaphorical ball over to Rabbi Shots, who will no doubt catch it with grace and ease, um, which is to say that we are not going to be talking about the narrative piece um that uh that you you probably know most well from this parsha, which is what happens in the next two uh psukim, which is the story of Nadav and Avihu and how they are uh, consumed by by fire. Not going to talk about that today, but it, it's interesting to know that it's right around the corner. Like it's literally the next verses, which is particularly interesting given that there's a big difference in how these verses are divided when you talk about chapters and when you talk about aliyah If you look at the chapters, uh, verse twenty four is the last verse of chapter nine. If you look at the aliyah breakdown. The last verse of the second Aliyah is verse 23. And the first verse of the third Aliyah is verse 24, which then moves into the rest of the narrative with Nadav and Abihu. So it's very interesting, right? Where we pause in a story tells a lot about how the story is being told. So it's interesting for me to think about how there's a difference in division in terms of whether these verses are part of one unit or whether verse 23 is the end of... Experience one, right? The dedication of that. And then verse 24 is the start of the next story regarding Nadav and Avihu. Rabbi Schatz.
2: And Rabbi Schatz will be talking about that tomorrow in her text study. So you can hear more about that tomorrow. Spoiler alert. Um What? I
1: said spoiler alert.
2: Oh, spoiler alert, yes. Um, actually not focusing so much on that part of the story, but kind of what comes next. Um, no okay. spoiler alert. Any any on this these two verses here? Um, though Rabbi Shapiro and I gave you a little bit of what's to come next, let's try to focus on these particular verses since that's what we're going to be focusing on in our teaching. Um, but obviously, feel free to ask any questions that are on your mind. We might just not address them if they go if they move beyond these two verses. Elon.
3: So it would be uh, the more logical ordering would be fire came forth from the Lord and consumed the burnt offering and the presence of the Lord appeared to all the people. Mm. So when they talk about Kabbalah Adonai, presence of the Lord, you would, uh, if you you read it in that order, you would say, oh, they saw the fire coming out and now it's a presence of the Lord, but it's not, I'm curious as to what is, when they say they saw the presence of the Lord, what does that mean? What 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 manifestation said Ah, that's the presence of the Lord.
2: Great, wonderful, wonderful question, Renee. I'm wondering with why if
4: did they did they shout and fall on their faces because of the burnt, what they saw as far as the burnt offerings, or because of Hashem?
2: Great. So was it because of the kind of pomp and circumstance, or was it because of the um? God either making them do that or them being in the presence of God. Right. Barbara.
4: Well, the first thought that I had was, are there, when, when reading through this, as Rabbi Shapiro did was a thought that I've had in the past. And that is, are there any Midrashat, shot about how the altars were cleaned? And then we come to 24, And it says the fire consumed the burnt offerings and the fat parts on the altar. So was there a fire after every time that blood and and fat were thrown on the altar in order to keep it clean? Because when you read these things and and when you get into other offerings, um, the the altar had to be a horrible mess. Yeah, Was it fire that consumed it or are there other midrashot that tell us? How the altars were cleaned, they had to have done something to clean them, I would think. So that's my yeah. It's point. a
2: really, it's a really good point, and one that I've not spent much time thinking about. And I don't know if there are midrashim on on uh, the the way in which the altar was <laughs> was cleaned or not. But it's a really, it's a really interesting and very creative way of thinking that potentially the reason that a fire came forth was for exactly that to kind of start it again with a clean slate, um, as opposed to having the remnants from whatever sacrifice came before still on the altar. So I would have to look more into that. I don't know if Rabbi Shapiro knows more about it, but uh, it's a very creative and very, um, a very interesting way of thinking about what the fire was for and, and, um, how the altar kind of got reset every time.
1: I I definitely don't know much more about it specifically. I do know that I would not want to be a janitor in the oil Moed. Yes, correct.
2: Yes. Thank you for that addition. We wouldn't have been able to move on without it. Um, Jay.
1: (laughs) My question is, would this be the first time that the Israelites actually witnessed a sacrifice?
2: Without knowing every line of Torah by heart, I would assume yes, because now the Mishkan is ready for use. It wasn't ready for use before, it was being built, it was being considered a holy space, but um, but most likely this was the first time, might not have been the first sacrifice, but it, but it was most likely the first time that it was a communal experience um, at least in this way around a tabernacle and in um, in the in the Mishkan itself. But again I'm not I'm not hundred percent sure that's correct but given context I would be pretty sh- I would bet on it that this is that this is the first time. Rebecca.
4: Um, so
0: my, my question is sort of a continuation of Barbara's um, question uh, at least in my mind and you I know you don't really want to talk about the different body parts, but um I noticed this also in the, um, the week we did forum. Why is there a separation between the offering and the fatty parts, And whether there's a list, because they end up doing the same things. Right. They put them in the same place, they burn them, but somehow there's a, there's a separation there between something that is considered the burnt offering, and then the fat parts, which also burn. So I'm wondering if that is something that is sort of known from the, you know, the neighborhood in terms of of sacrifice
4: or if there's something else there.
2: Yeah. So in terms of, um, I'll give a very brief answer, and I actually don't know if these two things are connected or if what I'm about to share came after based on your question in terms of the laws of kashrut the idea of limbs are very different than the idea of fat of an animal or really anything else like blood obviously but um but also this this stuff called khelev, which is um a a uh what's the word in english a um uh unfit or unused Whatever type of fat. (laughs) I can't think of another English word type of fat um, for when you're talking through an animal and what parts of an animal are actually able to be either sacrificed or eaten when we get to the laws of Kashu, which are also in this Parsha. So that's my guess of why they're separated. But again, I don't know, like chicken or the egg. I don't know if, if they're separated out because we know later on they're going to be separated in terms of what can be useful or if they're now separated out as what can be useful because of the question that you just asked, which is they're separated from the beginning. So it's a very, it's a very interesting point. And I, um, that would be my only guess, but I don't know factually why, why that happened. Rav do you have any thoughts on that or any words for the word that I still can't think of in English? <laughs> no. Okay. All right. Joanna.
0: There's sort of an interesting interplay between these two psukim that I think is a little bit lost in the English translation around the words vayera and vayar, which are the same root in Hebrew, right? So, um, you know, Vayera Kvot adonai El ha'am, God's presence appeared, and then Vayar Kolaam, the people saw. Um, and the other question that I have is: you know, when the people shouted, um, what is it that they shouted? And it takes me to also to the following words um that they fell on their faces. And from the Avoda service on Yom Kippur, um, we know that when they fell on their faces, what they said was, Baruch Shem Kavod Adonai. Blessed is, you know, Kavod Adonai. And that's resonating with me here because of the Kavod Adonai in verse 23. So, and just, you know, is that what they said or just trying to envision, imagine what was their response? What did they say? The text doesn't seem to tell us.
2: Yeah, I, in rabbinical school, I actually wrote a whole paper on the different places in which it uses Vayuplu al Um Most of the time, it's...
1: That sounds like a really cool paper. Oh. I was, I was wondering, I was going to try to like <laughs> look that up before the class, but I figured it'd be too difficult. I should, I should have known Rabbi Shatz. Just, <laughs> just um, I don't, I don't remember what class
2: I wrote it for, but I, I wrote it for one of the classes. Um... And most of the time when it comes up, it's in moments of prayer. But then the other time that it's, that it comes up is exactly this kind of situation, which you're referring to as kind of connected to the way that we use it on Yom Kippur, um, which is kind of in awe and in reverence of God who's before us. I don't, I obviously don't know what they shouted, um, that's not obvious. I don't know what they shouted. (laughs) Um, but it does seem as though they are falling on their faces because they're just so awestruck with this moment, whether again, going back to Elon's point, whether that's because of this sacrifice that just happened or because they're now in the presence of, um, of God. I think that was Elon. It was earlier on. I thought that was Elon. Um, yeah. But maybe we'll get to that in some of the commentaries. I didn't focus as much on 24, Um, but maybe Rabbi Shapiro has some stuff. Uh Bonnie, I almost called you Larry. Bonnie and then Nancy.
0: <laughs> so, um I was struck by the fire came forth before the Lord, because in the previous uh, Pesukim, there was fire already there. Yeah. Uh, because things went up in smoke. So did... uh the priests light that fire and then what is different about this fire that came from God?
2: Yeah. So Rabbi Sharif, if you can just scroll up to 22 also. Um, great. So, what we see here, we don't actually see the fire in this one line, but as Bonnie's saying, it comes before. Um, but what we do see is, is there's a lot of repetition here, right? There's two prayers. That's what I'm going to be talking about. Um, there's two prayers that are happening here. The fire was already there. Why does it need to now be started again? Um, so as you're pointing out, Bonnie, was it that different people had different access to these moments, or was it that it actually happened twice, right, that that something occurred either went out or was used and then occurred again um yeah we don't know but but the repetition as you're pointing out is quite is quite interesting and as we know from rabbi sean fieldsmeyer the torah has an economy of language so the fact that it is written this way was intentional nancy
4: um so i'm wondering about um this, the relationship between the tent of meeting and blessing people, like because it comes first, is it necessary to be inside this tent of meeting before you mm. can bless people, or, you know, what is it about that?
2: Great. Yeah, it seems that it, that that sentence could have been left out had it not been important for the blessing to have come after they were in the tent of meeting. It is also interesting to add on to your kushia, um that they had to come out of the tent of meeting in order to bless. So was there a moment of them receiving their own blessing or finding their own moment of prayer or spirituality inside that then they had to experience to be able to bring back out. Um, yeah, we, we will talk a little bit about that, but it seems to be that the location is important. (laughs) We'll put it that way. Um,
1: if you want to, that seems like a good segue to verse 23, if you want to take that and run with it.
2: Um, okay. Yeah, I can talk a little. I focused on um, verses 22 and 23 a little bit more than 23
1: and 24. Grab my uh, shots.
2: Yeah, breaking all the rules. But we create He's the so rules, crazy. so we get to break them. Um, because my main kushia was similar to this question of, of um, repetition. My main kushia was in verse 22. It says that, uh, Aaron lifted his hands towards the people and blessed them. And then in verse 23, it says, they came out, they blessed the people. So what are the verses just out of order? Were there two different blessings? Why were there two different blessings? Why is it important that we know that they both happened, right? Again, if if everything being written down is supposed to be important for us to take into account, were these two blessings then different, Uh that we need to know that they both happened, were they different or were they just uh recounted in two different ways? So those were my kushio. and I wanna I I found a lot, as you can see as I'm scrolling, I found a lot of commentaries, but this is the one that I wanna share that was kind of my my favorite. Um and then I'll pass it over to Robert Shapiro and if we want to go back to this topic, we can, but um I don't want to spend too much time on verses that we didn't agree on, agree on. Um so those or- you're good. Yes, that's true. It's based on 22, but yeah. Um, So this is the Orachim on verse 23, commenting on that they came out and then they blessed. So actually kind of kind of back to this question of the tabernacle, why is it, why is the location important? Perhaps they had been commanded to do so by a prophetic vision. It is also possible that the Torah substitutes the word blessing here for the word prayer, which also goes back to the idea of that they fell on their faces, that that was um, potentially another type of prayer that them, the people took on after this blessing or after this prayer, the prayer may have been that God's presence should continue to manifest itself in the camp, even though the people had already been blessed by Aaron, right, so the Orachim is picking up on the fact that this was the second time this had happened, it was good to be blessed by both brothers, each of whom represented a different nuance of spirituality, one that is unique to the Levite, to the Levite, Sound kind weird coming out of my mouth. And the other, the spirituality unique to the priesthood. In Kabbalistic terms, oh, I didn't even realize that there was a Kabbalistic thing at the end here.
1: You started reading this. I was like, Rabbi, shots. Do you realize what you? Said? I didn't read.
2: I didn't read the last sentence. And in Kabbalistic terms, the two brothers Aaron and Moshe represented the emanations Chesed and respectively. Okay, we're not going to talk about that, which is probably why I didn't read it. Um, you could. We I couldn't actually <laughs> um but uh but but what I want what I really enjoyed from this from this commentary is that it wasn't necessarily well let's go back to the verse so that we can you can see it in the in the text itself what the orrahheim is noticing here is that in the first verse in uh leviticus nine twenty two it's just Aaron, right, and going back to what rabbi Shapiro mentioned before right after this. Aaron has no words left. So it's interesting that Aaron, before his sons are killed, uh, he has two blessings to offer. um, And then the real tragedy over his children dying, you know, takes away his ability to do any of that kind of blessing, which under, understandably obviously but interesting that so much of this comes before him so aaron lifted his hands towards the people but then in the in the next verse in nine twenty three, moses and aaron then blessed the people and what i find very profound and what the orachim is bringing up is that it's not important whether or not there are two blessings what's important is that one blessing came from one person and the other blessing came from another two people so when you get a blessing, right? When when I I can stop sharing this now. Um, when when I do a bar bat mitzvah, I'm going to give a very different blessing than Rabbi Klingfeld might give that bar bat mitzvah kid. That's not because the kid is any different, but our relationship to the kid is different. Our way in working with the kid is different. Our way of rabbining is different. Our way of blessing is different, and. What seems to be important to the Chaim to mention here is that the people deserved not just a blessing from Aaron, but also a blessing from Moshe. That they deserved to kind of receive as much blessing as they possibly could, as opposed to just blessing from one of them. It would have been good enough, right? Going back to the idea of Dayenu, it would have been good enough for them to just get a blessing from Aaron. He was a wonderful, definitely a better orator than Moshe, right? He was very a ab- able to give a blessing and a beautiful one at that but Moshe had different things to say to the people and Moshe had a different heart to share with them in this blessing so I I loved that my question of why two blessings kind of changed perspective by reading this commentary by the Orachayim, because it seems like the the question of why two is less important than the question of why Aaron and then why Moshe and Aaron together any thoughts or comments on that okay Sure. It,
1: I mean, to dive into the part that you, you don't want to die. I mean, I think m- most folks probably, right, in Kabbalah, there's like the 10 Sfirot, which are con- considered to be like different ways in which God manifests in the world, right? Think about it like food coloring, right? Like the water's the same, but the color's going to look a little bit different. It's not that it's different, but it's a, it's a different way of appearing in the world. What What's interesting is that, Aaron is often affiliated with chesed, is like loving kindness and like gentleness and so on and so forth. I I don't, from, I, I was quickly looking, well, just now, I I don't think, interestingly, and I'm sure the Orachayim knows the Sefirot better than I do. Um, I don't think Moshe is usually necessarily associated with Gevura, which is like strength and might. And when you think about the Sefirot, they're like two sides, and there's the center, and those two counterbalance each other, right? So Gura and Chesed, they're, they're, they're each is needed, right, to keep balance, but they're, they're like two, um, sort of like opposites we wrote in that way. But, but all of that, I mean, informs Rabbi Schatz, what you're saying in terms of how Right. All, all, all of that is just underscoring what you're saying, right? That that different people offer different perspective, different way of being, different words, um, and and, all, the, and also the, different more, right, things, the more blessings, the better, right? Like it, it it's, it's all helpful and, right?
2: and different things to be heard because I think that also um, one of one of the blessings of working in a place with multiple rabbis is that you also might listen better to a certain kind of teaching or a certain kind of blessing um and that's not to say that the other kind is not good or or valuable but you just might be drawn towards a a certain kind in this case of blessing um that if Moshe and Aaron can can do it together then you get both and you don't have to worry that Aaron's blessing didn't speak to you or didn't make you think differently in a way that Moshe's would
1: yeah. And Joanna, you, you took the words out of my mouth um, that you put in the chat, like jo- Joanna said in the chat that, you know, for, for those who don't know, one way in which you can like add depth to your, um, you know, ritual of counting the Omer, which we are now in the middle of, um, is that you can infuse that with seven of the Sfirot over the course of the 49 days. And that like, there's a specific sphira or like trait or way of being that you're working to cultivate that week. And there's a way of like, infusing each of the seven within the seven, right? So day one is chesed shebe chesed, right? Loving kindness within loving kindness. Day two is vorah chesed, right? The way in which you need to hold boundaries within your loving kindness and so on and so forth. Um but yes we are we are still in week two and the, the trait for this week is givura. Um the the other thing I'll I'll add on verse 23. Um it's, it's, it's related, although it's, it's sort of the, the locus of it is a narrative half step before the, the blessing piece, which is, which, which picks up on something, Rabbi Sheth, that you're noting, which is like the, the double, the double blessing or like we were talking about towards the end of the kushiot is like the back and forth. And why is it necessary to do it more than once? Um and there's a midrash rashi picks picks up on the midrash in his comment but but it um begins in the midrash in the sifra which is um a collection of midrashim that goes through vaikra pretty comprehensively um basically asking the question of why did they go in there together why was it moshe and Aharon? Yeah. yeah um and what's interesting like foregrounding slash side note before getting into the content of the midrash there's a really interesting like thread of rabbinic commentary and thought on like the inner spiritual life of Aharon post golden calf. There's like a lot of really interesting rabbinic comments on reflections on, on Aaron's, wrestling with and struggle with like being a spiritual leader on the heels of that experience that I've seen peppered around um over the course of time and I hadn't seen this before but to me it it seems in in line with that the midrash says that like when Aaron saw all these offerings but the shekhinah still hadn't descended on Israel right like we we did everything we're supposed to do like che- like the sacrifice checklist right you got everything off the grocery list uh from the butcher as it were um what that's what except for not
2: liver and if you want to get people going down a really fun rabbit hole of liver just mention the word liver and you will have every woman on this call yelling at you about how you can't find liver any longer but don't actually say it and don't anybody start Barbara (laughs) don't anybody start okay Robbie Shapiro go
1: Is that like the surprise code word of the day? Like I'm No no no. We just had it... a
2: class yesterday and we went down a very long rabbit hole with very um very passionate speaking about liver and i will
1: say that we found pre-made chopped liver for we need to just
2: so if anyone
1: has good homemade chopped liver nope. i'd love some because just- i didn't get any upper peso move
2: on move on
1: so you're telling me i should talk about livers
2: <laughs> i will leave <laughs> so, if you would like to talk about liver i'm gonna go teach
1: they got they checked they checked everything off the grocery list which may or may not include liver <laughs> um, They they got everything they get, and and it still hasn't worked, right? Everything that has been teased earlier on in the chapter, like the presence of God button, still hasn't been activated in terms of what's supposed to be happening. And the midrash tells us that that then Aaron was having a rough time. Said he stood and grieved. I know that God's angry with me, and because of me, God hasn't descended on Israel. So I entered, and I was put. To, and this is what Moses did this to me which is very interesting. Moses did this to me. I entered, I was put to shame and God did not descend on Israel, which is a fascinating, right? Like we we definitely don't get like that kind of voice to the internal experience of a character in the Torah, really ever in the Torah or very infrequently. And the Midrash is like filling in this gap. And then what it says is then Moses entered with him they asked for mercy. The Shekinah descended on Israel, and so that's why Moses and Aaron went in. Went into the the Ohel Moet, into the Tent of Meeting. I, I think it's such a fascinating narrative interpolation to bring that in, right? That like little narrative lacuna in terms of like, well, why are they going back and forth? And Aaron was just in there, and why is Moses in there too? In terms of really delving into a potential psychological sense of what's going on with Aaron on the heels of the experience with the golden calf right and and we all have this right like if I've done something wrong even if what happens next like what happens tomorrow or next week has nothing to do with it if I'm still holding on to that I might have the perspective of well I know why that's happening it's because I did such and such right I think I I'd imagine other folks can relate to that as well. I certainly can. I think it's a really wise psychological insight to be infused in the midrash, and and some blame, right? Some blame there in terms of and it's because of Moshe. Like he put me up to it. He's still mad at me because. Of the, and then there's then real healing there, which is then like for like there's there there's like a narrative irony there, given that we also know the tragedy that lies literally just around the corner. But the fact that within this specific moment of Midrash, that there's that moment of healing where Moshe and Aharon are in the tent together and they both reach out to God and they come out and they bless the people. And that's when this experience happens. Um, I I, I just, I really love the Midrash and and how it like fills in that gap in a really interesting way that I hadn't seen before. So it it was a pleasure to come across that piece. I really enjoyed it.
2: do are are there any other (laughs) are there any other pieces that you want to share that go into verse 24
1: i have a few i mean yeah i don't know if you had seen that midrash i don't know if folks have, have folks have thoughts on the midrash i have a little bit on 24 in terms of the fire and the face falling and the what have you but
2: got it i had not seen the midrash
1: um isn't it great
2: yeah Oh, Similar to a you don't, you don't, a lot you don't of-
1: like it. Oh, you don't like it. You don't
2: like no, it. I didn't say that. Mm. Similar to a lot of things that you that you share without me being able to look at them. <laughs> I
1: Oh, I visual learner. Look- Everybody I mark it learned. off your bingo cards. Mark it off your exploring the partial bingo cards. Visual <laughs> learner.
2: Can you just let me finish my sentence? I'm um good. I just I would just have to oh. read it through again to figure out if I would like it or not. I think it it goes deeply into something that I that I agree with and i i like the premise of it but i had not um i had not heard it or
1: read it meanwhile elon's talking about portnoy's complaint in the chat and liver so elon do you know i had i just read portnoy's complaint two years ago i've just read it for the first i have not so then the
3: liver scene is fresh in your mind
1: yeah unfortunately thank you
3: only to be only to be compared with the baseball glove scene
1: this podcast if it goes any <laughs> further will will have a content advisory uh, instead of us
2: Apple. gain instead of us gaining listeners i think we're losing them um but that implies I, we have
1: listeners to begin with
2: we do bert kleinman tells us about them every week so um hello listeners. I, I will say one one more thing about and then i'll let rabbi shapiro do his piece slash pieces and uh close it out but I just wanna i wanna add like i i just this is like a feel good piece there's not really um not much more to take away from it but because many of you know the priestly blessing, I really like that this commentary speaks to verse Nine, uh, chapter 9, verse 22, that the fact that his hands went out, that somehow our commentators, Rashi also believes this, believes that this was actually the priestly blessing that Aaron gave, um, that that was the specific blessing. Whereas when Moshe and Aaron gave a blessing together, it was a little bit more personalized and a little bit more of like that Barabat Mitzvah blessing that I was mentioning before, personal to the people, less written beforehand um and interesting that that we as we say very fondly of our torah there is nothing there is nothing early or late in the torah but the priestly blessing comes later on in the torah than than this piece of um this piece of narrative but the Bal balhatorim says the three blessings of the kohanim Oh, sorry. And he blessed them with the three blessings of the Kohanim. And it co- they correspond to the three types of offerings, which I think is quite interesting. The first blessing corresponds to the sin offerings. Um, of uh, The word Vayishmerecha from sin, as it says in Shmuel 1, the feet of God's pious ones, um, God will guard them. And then Ya'ir Adonai Panav Elecha corresponds to the burnt offering. As it says, when you go up, you will seek peace. And that corresponds to the peace offering. Interesting that they don't go to the third one. So so saying that all of these, all three of these correspond to the three blessings of, um, the three types of offerings is interesting that it, um, that doesn't go to the third, but you get the idea here that, that the, and Rashi said it in a little more plain language, so though I won't read it, I'll just show it to you, that um, this idea of blessing that Aaron goes through is a blessing that we all know very well. And maybe, maybe it was then important to, Uh, to Aaron and Moshe to make sure that there was yet another blessing that was a little bit more personalized because the priestly blessing was something that everybody knew and everybody kind of just accepted upon themselves like children when they hear it on Shabbat, they know it's coming. But to then hear a personalized blessing um, meant a little bit more to the people. So I just wanted to connect that to something that you already know and something that I uh, is probably connected to you in some kind of uh also emotional way of like remembering when your parents said it to you or remembering when you said it to your kids or remembering when it's said at life cycle events uh that you've attended so just wanted to bring that in
1: that's lovely i i never like the there's nothing early or late in the torah because i think it's baloney but i i like that uh,
2: well, for a commentator, there isn't right because the commentator knows the whole Torah, so he knows the are knows. Yeah, but you know, yeah. but it's lovely. Agreed.
1: Okay. Um, I wanted to pick up it, it's b- briefly because it's a brief thought. Well, it might not be a brief thought, but I'll be mindful of the time. Um, it does connect back. With what we were talking about two weeks, because two weeks ago we were talking about the H Ishtamit, so we're, we're going to talk about fire uh, a little bit to close things out, to circle back.
2: Oh, that's then what from- you were talking about. Rabbi Shapiro said to me yesterday, weren't we talking about fire recently? And I just kind of nodded and said yes, but I had no idea what he was talking about. You were talking about the H Ishtamit, got it. Yes, we were talking about that recently. Now I can respond to the
1: question. Great. Let it be noted that Rabbi Schatz finally, how many of these have we done? Rabbi Schatz finally knows what I'm talking about. We made it. <laughs> um, You know, it, Jay, you made such, I think, it's something that I knew, but there was there was something that, in the way that you framed it that I think shed a really beautiful light, pun now intended, um, on what, what this experience was like for the Israelites. Like this was really their first time Experiencing something like this, you know, again, like going going to this idea of like putting ourselves in the state of mind and and in the perspective of like what this was like for you know Yosef Kaf Israelite in terms of what it was like to um, experience um, what what was going on here. The the language exe- itself, I'll, I'll pull it back up for the visual learners in the group um in terms of what it says, the, the valence of these phrases, you know, is is ambiguous. Right? A, um when it says Vayaronu, it's it's actually it's not that common of a word. So there's of course um you know some conversation about what that is. And the Vaiplu Alpneham and they found their faces, as our resident expert in face falling shared with us. Um there can be, you know, a couple of different understandings of what's going on there when folks do something like that. So I just think it's interesting, you know, going into this perspective of I'm seeing this for the first time. I've never seen something like this before. Like, yeah, they've, they've, they left Israel. They saw the signs and the wonders, but they haven't necessarily seen it, seen an experience like this coming out of like a specific ritual, right? That that's still a different kind of experience. Um, and it was interesting to see, not, not surprisingly, given the way our tradition works, but there's a few folks who said, in this, in the Cifra, so I was, I was looking at Cifra a good deal. The Cifra said, like, two different ways in which they were talking about how this was, like, a good thing, that this, like, they connected the idea of, um, via Ronu to like Rina, like, like joy and singing or happiness, right? The sense that, that this was actually, it wasn't necessarily that they shouted, like they, they were excited, they were happy, they sang at this. Um, but even Ezra, goes it goes in the other direction he says but he's he connects it with a, a pretty brutal passage from the book of kings in terms of like a cry going out through the people that they were that they were scared that they were fearful that they actually weren't um particularly happy about this um Rubinu Bahia, in addition to explicitly connecting this fire back to very much what we were talking about two weeks ago in terms of the Ishtamid and how this specific fire burned for a long time, he he talks about how there are times in our history when um he I'll just read what he says. He says that there are various times in our history that there have been 12 recorded occasions when fire descended from heaven. Six of these occasions were for the sake of accepting sacrificial offerings. The other six occasions were demonstrations of divine displeasure and anger. Right? So so it's it's it it's you see you see fire from heaven uh if you're you're 50-50 on whether it's going to be a very good day or a very, very bad day. Um, but but that there's two different um, things being like experiences being indicated with that same thing happening, um, with with completely different outcomes. And I think I I think it's interesting to like I'll I'll try to like wrap a bow on this in terms of there's there's these three different um components of this verse i'll say it like that three different components of this verse that that it's kind of like the same thing but with a potentially very different valence this via ronu that it could be joy or it could be yelling this idea of iplu alpne hem falling on their faces could be out of prayer or gratitude or whatever that might be or out of fear anxiety wanting to hide and so too with the fire itself that it could be something that is um you know but like we see it here and Baphia says that it, it is for, this is one of the good ones, right? This is one of the good ones where the offering is being accepted, but like, again, like, like, and, and he hints at this in his comment, like turning the corner, he cites very specifically that in that next verse that we all know is coming, even though we're not there yet, but we all know it's coming, that it is one of the examples of it, of it being a consuming fire, fire out of anger. So, it's interesting to me when we think about spiritual experience, when we think about this being the first time the Israelites have um, had something like this happen, right? Is it is it something that they're engaged in and joyful over and appreciative of and full of gratitude for? Or is it something that's bringing them anxiety, fear, concern? Um, like, yes, right? My My answer to that, based on all of those pieces, would be that I think it's very intentionally yes, that there's like a narrative dance happening there that there's something in in the lack of a clear valence in those verbs in terms of what's happening right what what did they shout what did they sing what did they say we don't know and, and there's something in the not knowing of exactly what those words are that i think indicates a greater depth and and spectrum of spiritual experience um in terms of what that might be than we would have if if the Um, if the verse was more specific in terms of indicating what was happening.
2: So it's so interesting because that is exactly what we experience in Aaron's response to his children's death, right? We experience, as opposed to it being a cacophony of, of emotions and reactions it's lack of, but, but at the end of the day, those are actually exactly the same because unless you're saying this is how the person reacted specifically. It's just a lot of something. So it's either a lot of silence or a lot of feelings. Um, it actually reminds me a lot of one of your children that when I asked him if he was excited to go to school this week, uh, uh, he said, yeah, and a little bit anxious. And I think that that is, you can feel both of those things at the same time and, I actually believe that in Aaron's silence and I might have to use this piece now for tomorrow morning. I actually believe in Aaron's silence that he wasn't not feeling anything, which some of our commentators say he felt numb. He felt nothing. He couldn't move on, but that he actually was feeling so much all at once that there was no way to express that in a meaningful way. And so there was just silence. And I don't know. It seems to me to be a mirrored reaction um, that you're referring to here. And that, and the, Ron, what is it? it. Yeah.
1: Yeah.
2: I always think of Roni Vesimchi, so I can never remember what
1: the actual well, yeah, I mean, because that—that's one potential manifestation of. Yeah. Although, I mean, in some ways, it's exactly the opposite, right? You're saying the silence holds multitudes, and here it's the fact that it's—it's it's being indicated that there's something that they're saying, but we don't know what it is, and because we don't know what it is, it's—it's it's possible to read a a wide spectrum of of what's happening there into it, right?
2: Totally, yeah. I mean, I think for anybody who's experienced loss, or anybody who's experienced extreme elation, right? You, it's hard to express what's going on in that moment. It's when someone says, what can I do to help? The, the answer is often nothing because you don't know how to be helped in a moment where you can't yet express how you are feeling or what you need. Uh, And those seem to be, again, as you're saying, like they're obviously not the same. They're obviously actually opposites but they seem to be similar ways in which they that the people and then Aaron are reacting
1: right but it's it's not and to pull it back to the you broke your rabbi shots you keep breaking the rules you told everyone at the beginning of this that we weren't going to talk about the verses and you're concluding by talking about those verses you're you're breaking all the rules today man you're go, you're going crazy
2: wait what weren't those the verses that we chose
1: no because you're talking about Aaron and his silence it's exactly the opposite you're 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 going rogue, man.
2: You just just
1: watched. No, but you're going. So I'm gonna pull okay, it back okay, to the verses. Anyway. I'm gonna pull it back to the verses that were because I'm a rule follower. Oh. I play by the rules.
4: Okay.
1: I take rules very seriously
4: Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: Um. I'm gonna. Can, mm, I'm gonna say one thing in the wrap what it makes me think of. I'm very excited in the t- 97. I'm very excited because for my one of the things I I got for my birthday is I'm, I'm going to see a concert in November, which is a weird thing to get for a birthday in April, but it's at the Greek theater, it's outside, it's a band that I want to see for a valentine time. I love live music, I miss concerts. What this made me think of when you're talking about like words and not having words for something, is when you see, I, I consider concerts to be a spiritual experience, like you're, it, it's music, you're with other people, it's communal, you're connected to something bigger than you. I experience spiritual spirituality, not at every show, sometimes band stinks but but like at a really good concert like i consider that very much to be a spiritual experience when i'm thinking about like something beyond work like you go to a great concert it's like what do you say it was awesome it was great it was so good like you don't have right we don't have language right there are things that that transcend like what it made me think of is i went to um a Music festival. I went to Law. I've been to Law. It was a couple times. This was 2010. I think it was 2010. Um, and the last band to play, this will not mean anything to anyone, but I'm going to say it anyway. The last band to close out the concert was Arcade Fire. Any Arcade Fire fans on the call? Okay. Oh, Jay. There we go. Thank you very much. Jay knows what I'm talking about. And Arcade Fire has uh, a very like pop, their most popular song, it's "Wake Up" and it goes, whoa whoa, "Whoa, whoa, You might have heard it on a commercial. Blah, blah, blah. Rabbi Shot, you got me singing on the podcast again, so you should be very happy. And it was—it's like their biggest song. It was—it closed out the festival. Everybody there knew it, and it was—and it was like the last thing. And they closed the concert, and that's it. And the, you know, the lights are coming up. And everybody's going home, and as as everyone was leaving the festival, right? Festival's over. Everyone kept singing that together as they were walking out. It was awesome. Like filtering out to like buses, cabs, cars, walking home, like filtering back out into the city. People kept like singing that riff for a solid like three, four, five minutes. It was awesome. I've never seen anything like it. Um, And when you think about like what that experience can be, and going beyond words and and being overwhelmed and not having the words but still carrying it with you. That's what that makes me think.
2: I will pull it all together by saying I think that that one of the things that these verses remind us of is is to be able to just be in a moment right to be able to to listen to the moment that you're in to experience the moment that you're in uh to take the blessing that you're being given in that moment but just to be present um because the people would not have the people would not have had the reaction that they had had they not been present in that moment nor would they have felt the need to have a second blessing from Aaron and Moshe, had they not been present in the moment to hear Aaron. So um, I hope for all of you that you are able to stay present in the moments that you are in um, and to appreciate those moments and, uh, and learn from them what you need for the moments to come.
0: You have been listening to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles.